0: For September 10th, 2012, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 219. Icons are always an accident. to the overthinking podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve from los angeles california where i am in show business this is matthew rather here with the panel uh to overthink the ghostbusters 2 logo what do i mean by that well we'll get to that in just a second uh if you'd like to uh to pregame for this podcast you can uh, look up The IMDb entry of Michael C. Gross, who is our interview guest on this podcast. Michael C. Gross. It's IMDb.com slash name slash NM0343453. That's my. We, we
1: always deliver information in the most convenient way for our <laughs> readers and listeners to assimilate. Zero one one zero
2: zero 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 one one. Now you'll decode right. it, and that's the podcast. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, yes, you next show notes. So in this long uh, in this long series of zeros and ones, uh, we have a panel and panel for our interview subject, uh, Mister Gross tonight. Um, uh, tell us, question. What is your favorite uh, movie produced uh, or uh, sort of, well, I guess, yes, he was a film producer uh, by Michael C. Gross, associate produced, produced, executive produced, any sort of uh, producing Michael C. Gross did Uh, first in the alphabet drink because it's not Pete Fenzel. It's Matthew Belenke.
3: I, I I gotta go with the the low hanging fruit and, and Ghostbusters, uh, one of my all time favorites. And I was watching it at a very young age. Came out in 1984. I, I'm sure that like by the time I was like six, it was like on, on you know at VHS at our house, and I was watching it all the time. And my parents tried to explain to me that most grown ups considered it to be a funny movie, but to me it was it was just absolutely terrifying. And watching it was like a real test of my manhood at the age of six. And you know how much of it could I get through without like having to run screaming from the room was like you know a, a challenge that I would I would face you know on Sunday mornings before anyone else in the house woke up I get up and put on Ghostbusters and see what I could get through uh, especially the the scene and I had I had fears about this for for years uh, perhaps up to the present day perhaps not I'm not going to divulge that about the scene where Sigourney Weaver is in the chair and the hands burst out of the chair and grab her and the entire chair just like slides across the road, uh, which is great. And I mean, one, one of the, the many things that there's to like about Ghostbusters is although it is I'd say primarily a comedy, very funny people involved with it and very funny moments, that there are some parts that are genuinely scary and that are are, are played expertly for the, for the horror. Uh, and they, they really work, especially for six.
0: Excellent. Pete Fenzel, next in the alphabet. Drink again, because you like to drink.
1: Uh, I'm going to jump ahead about, oh gosh, what, 10, is it 10 years? Uh, Yeah, about about nine years to the 1993 movie Dave with Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver Mm. uh, about the man who is uh, a lookalike for the president of the United States who ends up taking over as president as part of a plot by the senior cabinet members and the vice president to kind of exert uh, power or the senior cabinet members to exert power over the White House in lieu of the vice President who was too liberal getting past the uh past the the, the succession and that, that movie, I remember seeing that movie in the theater and just feeling like a profound sense of warmth around that movie. I mean it was pretty young right like and and it was it's very dull adult, but it is adult in a way that speaks to a really broad audience of people and in a lot of ranges and as a young teenager, it sort of um there was a there was a maturity to it and an accessibility to it and and an emotional warmth to it and uh and also as somebody who's like a you know a wonk for for history and politics sometimes and that all that whole element of it was played in a way that was really meaningful and resonant and I just love that movie all around and um to find that that Mr Gross was a producer on that too it's really interesting yeah. to see all the places that this guy has touched. Uh, that seemed, I didn't know they were related before, but they turn out to be related. I mean, obviously Sigourney Weaver's in this movie too, but, uh, but there's all sorts of hands behind the curtains that are, uh, connecting these things as people work together. Hands sort
0: of bursting up through the chair, if you will.
1: yeah. So scary! So scary! I'd bet you that if we could avoid it, or giant hands that are yeah,
3: what's up? Yeah, I have no evidence for this, but like I honestly believe like it was 1993. I don't know if the American president would have gotten made only two years later if it's because I I feel like they're very similar. They're both sort of romantic comedies that are about sort of like political idealism and sort of you know. Uh, about the, the the funny side of Washington But sort of this Frank Capra view Of like you know we really can make things better uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead And give Dave credit for the American president
0: and, Sure and by, I like Dave much more Yeah. By, by extension you have to give Dave Credit for the West Wing And if you give Dave credit yeah, for the this. West Wing Then you're saying really that Dave is responsible For Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip
1: Oh, no. In
0: the newsroom, yeah. the newsroom as well. <laughs> uh, Mark Lee next in the alphabet.
2: Well, I can't take Ghostbusters. Um, so I'm going to go with the next best thing. Uh, not even well, just not Ghostbusters 2 actually. For me, it's the real Ghostbusters, the animated TV series which uh which I watched the crap out of. I think Belinky also watched the crap out of this uh back when you know, on Saturday morning cartoon thing. Um, I don't remember, I can't even recall a single specific episode of this, but what I do vividly remember is I had a book. There was like a paperback uh, you know drawn i don 't know if you would call it a graphic novel uh, or illustrated book uh, with the deep with the with the story of the real ghostbusters i i'm pretty sure I read that before i'd seen the ghostbusters um But, uh, you know, and and without being able to recall any specific details of that, um, I I just cite that as one of the examples of something that uh, we were talking about the other day uh, after seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark, which are um, stories that you uh, consume as a young person that set your imagination on fire. Um, That's the best uh, language that I can use to describe that feeling of wonder and amazement discovery when watching something like Raiders of the Lost Ark or Ghostbusters. For the first time, and uh, I just associate uh, the real Ghostbusters, the, the cartoon, and uh, and this book was setting my imagination on fire. This idea that there is this green ghost, uh, which uh, you know e- eats food and is sloppy for some reason, and hangs out <laughs> with Ghostbusters um, and and their adventures with proton packs and uh, and that hot chick that they are hanging out with as well. Um, the whole thing, it it, 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 it what, what I was gonna say? It set my imagination on fire. On fire. But this still, is a guy. This, this, is this, this is a
1: guy who made multiple Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Mark, you're not going to cite one of those.
2: You would think, right? Well, mm. is, uh, is, I was trying to avoid the subject because um, <laughs> I've, I think I've only seen part of Twins and I've never seen Kindergarten Cop. What? Oh, well, you should. Those are awesome.
3: Oh, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs>
2: I've been outed. I really. I. I gotta go, guys.
0: <laughs>
1: you right. have something to do. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm. I, I. I guess for that reason, I'm going to take Kindergarten Cop. Um, Yes. You know, not just for its uh, its intrinsic, um, its many intrinsic, uh, admirable qualities, but also because of the kind of movie it is taking a sort of ultra masculine kind of hyper masculine icon and putting him into a uh, what into a kind of feminized situation or into a more kind of caretaking, uh, you know, the provision of child care. Uh, as a kind of more feminized role. Um, not only did this movie lead to, uh, you know, Junior later on, but I feel like without Kindergarten Cop in 1990, there would have been no Vin Diesel in The Pacifier in 2005. Damn.
1: Yeah, and that bus ride would have been a lot worse for me when I watched The Pacifier, which was a wonderful distraction <laughs> during that bus ride that I took from New York to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there's a lot of movies that are like that. Yeah, um, yeah. all those. What's those, the
3: Hulk Hogan movie? Where, where he has Mr. To, Mr. Uh, Nanny, a right? Commando?
1: What? um oh, uh, right. Superman Commando is like that too but Mr. Nanny and also he's in one of the three ninjas movies in a similar kind of capacity. Um,
3: <laughs> so Hulk Hogan's is career not possible with that kindergarten comp. Pretty much, yeah I know yes. some of those predated. dated I'm still giving credit for, for even though those movies came before Kindergarten Cop. Not possible without Kindergarten. Cop. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-time. Also,
1: Anti-time. <laughs> yes.
3: Honestly, all you needed to say for for your nominee of Kindergarten Cop was it, it's either it's not. I'm not going to do the accent, but either it's not a tumor or who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> and either of those would be Dienu, honestly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, um, so our interview. Our interview. Uh, Tonight is with Michael C. Gross. If Michael C. Gross had associate-produced the, the animated film of heavy metal, Dayenu. Dayenu. If he had, uh, had associate-produced Ghostbusters, Dayenu. 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 If he had merely been the art director of National Lampoon when the famous Buy This Magazine or We Shoot This Dog cover uh, was published... Dianu. had he only designed the Ghostbusters logo, Dayenu, though there's a there's a uh, I guess Dan Aykroyd um, actually came up with the idea for the Ghostbusters logo, but he executed it as the designer. Uh, Had he only designed the twins logo, Dayenu. Um, I mean, we it's uh it's amazing that we have such a storied uh film producer, art director, graphic artist, uh, and it's it's kind of like he's he's punching in a weight class like five or six weight classes above I mean, overthinking it. So how, how the crap did he get? Right. Did we get him <laughs> on this? Yeah. The
3: bad news is that he's he's here basically to yell at me.
0: <laughs> so so it's uh, the other side of that coin. <laughs> a, a while ago. Belinky wrote an article called The Brilliance of the Ghostbusters Logo. And if you Google for Ghostbusters Logo, uh, after you actually do all the the links related to the Ghostbusters Logo, like all the image links and things like this, this is the first uh, critical article about the Ghostbusters Logo if you Google for it. Um, So Google Ghostbusters Logo and reread Matt's article from Tuesday, December 13th, 2011 – about the brilliance of the Ghostbusters logo, where he uh, y- you um really praise the Ghostbusters logo for uh being sort of diegetic and extra diegetic at the same time and also kind of straddling that comedy horror line that the movie sort of straddles or sort of reducing uh, uh, reducing horror to comedy, but then you take you take to task. Um, the Ghostbusters 2 logo. And and Matt, why don't you just refresh for us why you do that?
3: Well, because in the first the original logo, the ghost looks uh, sad or surprised because it is in the process of, of being busted. Uh, but in the second logo, although the ghost is still within the, the, the busting uh, circle, uh, it, it's got a big smile on its face and it's extending its hand with the two fingers. So it's sort of unclear is the ghost something that we're busting or does the ghost represent the ghostbusters themselves? Uh, and I just felt the, 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 uh, the symbolism of the logo has been muddied. Understood. Uh, yeah. All right. But, uh, but I, I wish I'd, I'd used a uh, softer words to, to make this criticism.
0: <laughs> Had I well, known that he would be Googling ghostbusters logo later. Now, now that you do. So uh, it turns out that six or seven months later, uh, Mr. Michael C. Gross, the designer of the Ghostbusters logo and a, uh, an associate producer on the film Ghostbusters, uh, must have Googled Ghostbusters logo and found his way to our article and used the comment form at uh, overthinkingit.com contact to send us uh, a message. Um, and I you know I won't read the message because I think I think uh, I gather from speaking with with Mr. Gross that he re- regrets the the harsh language that he used. <laughs> but he he may have it's, it's a short message. It's, yeah, he he may have made some loca uh, mention of the location of our heads and what other parts of our anatomy our heads might be stuck into. And uh you know uh and encouraged us to publish his comment. Well, we went one better and contacted him. And, uh, and we um, sort of apologized, I guess, when I, when I wrote him uh, for having offended him. But invited him to uh, come on the podcast and to take Belinky to task. So, Matt, are you ready for your dressing down? Yeah,
3: my friend addressing down Let's do it. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm like I'm excited to talk to this guy, but sad that this is the circumstances under which it has to happen.
0: <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we'll make a, maybe we'll make him a friend uh, before the end of the interview. So we will be right back mm-hmm. with the overthinking it podcast interview with Michael C. Gross. And we're on the phone with Michael C. Gross. Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, you caught me at
4: a strange time. Uh, I was actually, uh, I had something that didn't agree with me at dinner, and I was just going into the bathroom, and I thought I'd taken the headset with me. But then I'm afraid the sounds you would have heard would have been particularly diegetic to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, it, by the way, that's a word I never did hear. I, I've never heard that term. I had to look it up. I was surprised at... <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you people doing in film school?
0: <laughs> Fortunately nothing. Else... How about you learn how about you just learn to write a script? I'm sorry, I swear? <laughs> yeah, go
4: right I mean, a-
0: go can't... right ahead.
4: Yeah. you know, forget about diet G S and all this crap. You know what this reminds me of? I have to laugh. It is um I just to be sure I'm on the phone with all the right players here, it is um uh, is, uh, is is Binky there?
3: Uh, yeah, Binky's here.
4: Binky's here, okay. No, <laughs> first of all, I have to give it to your website. Anything that calls itself overthinking it can get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's the idea, yeah. <laughs> yeah so you're, it's kind of hard for me to accuse you of overthinking it when that's the name of your goddamn website. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm reminded of... Um, you know, if everybody who creates anything, the last thing they want to hear from is a critic who doesn't agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, as soon as you get the critics, you suck, you know, you, you you attack back. When in fact, you know, there's smart ones and bad ones and whatever the rest they are. I was reminded of after we uh, uh, after we released Ghostbusters. Sorry, I'm sipping water to help my voice here. After we released Ghostbusters. I went to some cocktail party press thing, whatever it was, and it was a French film reviewer. And he's arguing about why he didn't like the movie with somebody. And he's he's saying I kinda of, you know, I kind of eased ease into the conversation, kinda of listening, you know, it wasn't directed at me. And he says, Well clearly Ghostbusters is a metaphor for regonomics. <laughs> Uh, it said with a French accent, of course. And I, I said, excuse me, but I made the movie. And no, it's not. He went, yes, it is. <laughs> and I thought to myself, no, it's not. <laughs> I made the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what to say, you know. So I'm looking at you. And by the way, I apologize for being rude in my response to your uh, to your article uh, about the logo, I did. I think when I got a phone call from you a little while later, you said it's okay. It's the internet. We can be rude, and actually, I've been very critical of the lack of civility on the internet. And I apologize. If I had known you face to face, I wouldn't have said. If I did say you yeah, have your head up your ass, I would have said it with a smile. <laughs> and you, can, you can't. Tell. <laughs> anyway, I don't. It, this is. It's, it's a very. Uh, why, why did you write this? Right. I know it's because first of all, I know, it's it. what, I know it's what you do. but Why'd you write
3: this? I I just I just want to point out to start that the article is called "The Brilliance of the Ghostbusters Logo." <laughs> <laughs> now, the article is mostly about how awesome the logo is, um, and then so and be, because obviously the the whole point of the movie is encapsulated right there that like ghosts are terrifying inexplicable, <clears throat> and inexplicable and overwhelm our capacity for rational thoughts but what if you could just call the exterminators to get rid of them and then your biggest problem was like haggling over the bill and it's all right there in the logo and and it encapsulated in that great first scene of the movie which is played totally straight as like a, a horror scene where the librarian is alone in the basement and weird things start happening and she rounds the corner and screams and then you get the logo, like it, and it's all sort of reduced to the level of like commercial, um, with a, with a little jingle, and it's great. Um, so then the, the the part where we diverge is a little, um, and I feel I, I'm I'm a bit of trepidation about getting into this because uh, obviously it's it's difficult to argue with success, and and you know the, the the movies are wildly successful, and and you are obviously a graphic designer of the first order. Uh, if I knew you were going to write, I would have I would have chosen to write something about like Pirates of the Caribbean or something. Um, <laughs> but the, the second logo, the ghost looks looks a little happy for me.
4: For, for, okay, for we'll go opinion. there. We'll go. We'll go there. We'll go yeah. there. Okay, and now there's a couple of things. But um, by the way, uh, a little bit of self promotion here. Self promotion. I went to Pratt um, in Brooklyn. Uh, God knows, fifty years ago, and. I remember going there like any kid who goes to art school who can draw and paint and doesn't really know what he wants to do. And in high school, he published fanzines, and we made 60-millimeter movies, and I didn't know what I was going to do. But everything was a dream, and everything's ahead of me. And you get this education at Pratt, which I think is arguably still the best art school in America. And um, it's now celebrating its 125th anniversary. And on the Pratt website, they've got a little thing they're doing where they want people to vote for the most iconic images ever created by Pratt alumnus and uh, faculty. This includes things like the Chrysler Building, the 56th Thunderbird, uh, IBM, it goes on and on. And you vote. And they're going to take 125 of them and put them in an exhibition in November in New York. Well, I'm two to one over the sec, over the Chrysler <laughs> Building as the number one, <laughs> as the number one most admired logo icon in the history of 125 <laughs> years of brat.
2: You beat Paul Rand. You can
4: imagine. You can imagine how I feel that Paul Rand. He's like seventh. <laughs> no, in, in my book, it would have been George Lois would have been first because George Lois is a god to me, and he's a brat. You know, but. That's a magazine and they're like that's what I'm getting at is they are truthfully talking about iconic okay and icons are not created icons are always an accident I, I don't think there's a single icon you can tell me that was not an accident you you go out as a designer we're a creator, we're We're designers, that's what we're talking about. And you created what's needed for that product or that place and that time, and it works. And the fact that it takes off and goes someplace around the world seven times, that's not what you, you didn't put that up there and go, wow, this will be the most known icon of 125 years sometime. No, you don't. You do it. you, You do your job. And the other things are all actions that come out of popularity, fame, sales, call it what you will. You know and I
2: mean? Yeah, Michael, I, um, I mostly agree with you, but uh, to bring up one <laughs> counter example that comes off the top of my head would be uh, the industrial design of Apple uh, and how Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive and, and folks like that, like obsessed, obsessed over the physical uh, appearance of their products and I think designed them to be icons. Um, is, is that uh, an exception
4: true. or...? Wait, at
0: the time, they had ten the mm-hmm. right, percent of the market. Right when they started, when they started making, It icons if they only had ten percent of the market. Right, it's the iPod. They
4: made it an
0: icon. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's an interesting. That I think that that goes to your point, um, right? Which is that like no one knew. I guess if the iPod had failed, right in the market then that whole that whole language of design would have been uh you know uh would have been dead on arrival. Um but can you can you say a little bit, Michael, how how the the logo, the um red circle with the line through it, the cancelled ghost came to be uh on the poster, on the teaser poster for the movie as opposed and, to say the yeah. title or the stars that, or something? That, you
4: well know, that's 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 part of the story I'm trying to tell is First of all, my role in that movie, sorry, need water. that role in that movie was not to be a designer. I was a producer. It also, because I came out of heavy metal. I was an art director, right? So the thing that this movie needed for my specialty was special effects and original, original conceptualization of all the ghosts and creatures that didn't look stereotypical like earlier ghost movies or whatever that is. Also riding that line of how many should be funny, how many serious, and because there's always been an understanding uh, professionally, not only in publishing but in my movie history, that I know what's funny doesn't mean I'm funny, but I think I have a good sense of what's funny. So you run this funny line, forgive the pun, uh, of trying to interpret material that is either silly or not silly, etc. And Ivan wanted that to happen in the movie. He wanted to keep the serious, kind of serious, the tongue-in-cheek, kind of tongue-in-cheek, and the outrageous down and out silly. So we have these options and how you handle each piece of it. And I'm a producer, not a designer. Now, in, in Danny Aykroyd's original script, he described that logo. He said these guys went to work, and they had a logo on the car, and it was a ghost trapped in the no symbol. So I don't take credit for originating the concept. I take credit for executing it and designing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to take full credit, but I think it would be unfair. It's like, a write, it's like a writing and design team in advertising. You know what I mean? Great sure. things yeah. come out of the two teams, and that's right. what we were understand. this
3: so, well, The look of the ghost you know in, in there. Well, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't, didn't mean to no. interrupt. I, I think it's, it's interesting. The look of the ghost in the nose sign is not like any ghost in the movie. It's like a very, it's like a Casper the F- Ghost type ghost, like a guy in a sheet. You know, which is which is so great because it's sort of this 1950s cartoon ghost as opposed to, like, the actual scary-looking ghosts that show up in the film.
4: Exactly. Let's take the next stage. <clears throat> that was my take, and I had artists in the special effects department, including someone named Brett Boats, who worked for really in Heavy Metal. They were excellent cartoonists. And I had him do variations that ran from what might be... An, what might be the company's light logo in the same way. Have you ever seen the um, um, uh, Bug Exterminators companies? You know, they make like, they make like yeah, funny like, looking, man. Huh? Yeah, like Gorkin. Yeah, go yeah, they make silly, they make light of it, because they don't want to see a dead mouse and an actual spider, you know? They, they lighten it up so that it, it makes it both instantly commercial and more tolerant and so these guys were just starting a business Uh, what else would they do they they do something silly you know they're almost silly and so we did it for the shirts we did it for the cars we did it for I did it and blah 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 now as far as I know that is the beginning and the end of the creation of that logo okay Now. We didn't own the name Ghostbusters when we were shooting the film. And that's because it was a a cartoon company, a very good one one I liked a lot, I used to work for it, called Filmation. And Filmation had a live show called Ghostbusters, I think it was Larry Storch or something, in the 60s, I don't know what. so Columbia, and we tried all kinds of titles. We couldn't do anything else. And we tried Ghost Breakers and Ghosts and all of them. We looked at all the old ghost movies. We, we said, no, Ghostbusters has this ring, you know. So we went to uh, Columbia and said, you've got to get the rights to this. So their deal was that they were negotiating with formation who eventually kept the name for animation only. Because we figured we'd never do animation and we got her for the movie, but that negotiation was well into us shooting the movie. And a certain point, Joe Medchak, he's outside, you know, the scene outside the building and the Ghostbusters arrive and the crowd's all out there and the whole thing, they're ready to go up and do business so that, you know, the would yeah. Well, there's a phone booth near that and Joe Medchak is talking to Columbia and saying, do we have the rights to the name Ghostbusters yet? And I said, no, not yet. And he turned the phone outside to a crowd of a thousand extras going, Ghostbusters, (laughs) Ghostbusters. He said, you better get it. You better get it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the problem is they wanted to put a teaser poster out, and we still didn't have the rights to call it Ghostbusters. And a very smart art director who consulted with me because I'm, Again, I have a print background, so I am one of these strange producers who crossed over into promotion and advertising and other places. I did the Twins poster. You know, I did, it's just an odd relationship, but, but I was respected by the studio art directors. And I said, yes, it's the logo. So they put it up, the logo, and said, Come to Save the World in Summer, and they figured that's a teaser enough. Most people I knew, my New York sophisticated friends, said, oh, f- they're making a movie about Casper which is kind of funny because it wasn't a movie <laughs> later I guess, which I but it's quite good but it just teats you know, so that's that's why it was used without the name not because anyone was brilliant not because anyone has a genius it was all one happy accident
3: yeah it's great it's like the poster is like a poster for the company in the movie you know like they're they're, they're trying to drum up some business with like that public that great public access commercial yeah. So then, so I, I hesitate to, to to get into this, but we have to talk a little about the Ghostbusters 2 logo. Yeah, this is um, where we're leading, that's why I'm why
4: I'm leading um, that's why I'm leading to that. Okay. Um, <coughs> this is I, I, in some ways I can't argue what you said. By the way, um, wow. I argue with the idea of what you thought you would do. Are you a designer, by the way? Or? <laughs> you can get it.
3: Oh no! I'm, I'm nothing. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was telling Matt before we recorded that his ideas were actually pretty bad. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs>
4: okay. So I love the idea when he says, "If I were designing this, you know." Um, but it, it's not about that. You also have to put all these things in context. We never knew we were going to do a serial. Uh, excuse me, a sequel. All right, mm-hmm. we had no intention of doing a sequel and then because Filmation came out with and we never could make a merchandising deal from the first movie because no one knew what we had and toy companies needed at least a year to tool up not to mention that they need to know it's a long-standing thing, like a TV show or something, or maybe a series, like, you know, uh, you know I don't know. And the problem is they can't take a gamble on a movie by the time the toys or whatever else is out is already a year gone. So nothing happened in the merchandising of Ghostbusters 1. audience uh, nothing, nothing, you know, not T-shirts or something. So we're just plodding along, and, and uh, Filmation puts out cashing in on what is now a huge hit. They want to do a Ghostbusters car- uh, cartoon show. Well, Columbia is not going to sit still for this. They had the rights, but we're not going to let them cash in. So they came to us and they said, how about you guys do a cartoon show and we'll call it The Real Ghostbusters. It's a really awkward title, but they just didn't know what else to call it. Because see, are Ghostbusters couldn't have our characters in it for obvious reasons. So we raced into production on ABC and syndication and for almost five years did 118 cartoon shows. Okay?
3: Now, yeah, here's the problem. I remember that. I used to... This gave me but like I used to watch that every Saturday morning with my, my Cocoa Puss. Yeah, When they were good, they were good.
4: And when they weren't, they weren't. That's television. You know, all the rest. But here's what happens in the meantime. You now have... Something that is... Has, it's, not the, it's not the impact of... It's not the hip impact of the first movie. But it's a cartoon show. And so when you have a cartoon show, you have five-year-olds watching it and, you know, and all the rest, right? So now it's changing, if you will. It's changing its perception by the year. So by the time we come around and say, okay, let's make a sequel, 1989, one of the things I said, and the film didn't do as well for two reasons. One, it's not as good. But the other is it's not as original as it can't be. And one of the things I said to him, none of that. But if, you know, if, if you've got a kid who's been watching it for five years and he's a teenager, he's not even hip to go see it anymore. So the tone we had to attack, approach was even doing a sequel is somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Because that's where we were culturally at this point. So this is a little bit about that weirdness of what's outside the film and what's in the film. Because our belief then was, let's now happily do number two with a smile like we're back. Now, I know that's the ghost saying we're back, but that's all we've got is the ghost, and everybody knows the ghost as an icon. So lightening him up and making him friendly and popping him out and saying, here we go again, is, I think, since I designed
3: it, totally and completely justifiable. Yeah, there's a there's a great scene that captures exactly what you're saying at the beginning of Ghostbusters 2, where Ray and Winston are getting suited up and they go inside the building and it turns out they're going to a children's birthday party and not to bust a ghost and then, and then the final insult is they try to sing the Ghostbuster song from the first movie and they say, who are you going to call and all the kids yell out, he-man <laughs> Yes, yeah. like, it's perfectly self-mocking it's sort of like, wow, we've, we've fallen a long way since that first movie
4: and, and also, uh, Ivan Reitman's style in particular and, and, and neither Alan Ramis is is to insert a movie full of in-jokes in we generally don't do that. Don't like to do it. Um, the biggest in-joke in the movie is when they're going in some place and Bobby Brown is like a doorman or something. Here's right. the entertainer, Bobby Brown. And he says to Aykroyd, can I get a backpack or something, a, a, a proton blaster, Where they call it, for my kid? And he said, the, the proton blaster's not a toy. Because at that point, it was a runaway 400 million dollar toy line. <laughs> okay, so we, we, so, the, so the two logo becomes basically an ink joke. It is It's a little weird that we use it in the movie. I admit that. It's actually a little strange. but our thinking wasn't it that it was thinking more like victory, peace. Here we are again, friendly. Yeah, even though. The advertising we are saying it's to number two, so you've got a point there. We, we just we didn't see it that way because if you have to remember at that point, the whole thing is so iconic that you can around with it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Now, yeah, it's, if you did exactly. number, now, let's say you did number three, okay? I can't believe there would be a number three. Let's say you it's, certainly it's, will not. are talking about it? Yeah, I, know, I, know. I don't know what they do. I've been out of the business eighteen years, so I don't know, but. I know Don Bill, and I know Ivan, and, uh, and Danny's the ultimate enthusiast about everything, and who the fuck knows. But I can't imagine there'd be a logo, and we said just put three fingers up. Am I? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I've seen, I've seen people trying to, because they're so enthusiastic about Ghostbusters 3 that they're sort of mocking up what a logo will be online. I definitely saw one where there's a ghost that has three heads, and it's, it's in the new sign. Um. But people, people want that movie to happen. I, I don't know. I don't know what you know. People are like you know, would they hand it off to a new bunch of Ghostbusters, or would you know?
4: It's a very, 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 very difficult task. Uh, Sequels are, and let's face it, you know, after Godfather and uh, maybe uh, Terminator and uh, you know, there's like there's there's five movies you can talk about with a sequel maybe it was as good as the first if even sometimes better and that it's really hard and the biggest problem is no surprises now on the other hand you can have an audience who last saw the last one twenty years ago so i don't know it's going to be a very very difficult task for them and uh... i'm not, I'm not part of it so it
3: doesn't matter yeah. would you if, if they ever did a ghostbusters three would you be there opening day
1: can I ask a question yeah. about another sort of imagined, imagined sequel and like your thoughts about iconography and whatnot? Because we we've been hearing about the potential for a twin sequel, and Twins oh, is yeah. such is such an iconic movie. And you and I was surprised to hear that you designed the poster. I mean, not because of anything but it's just because it's an awesome poster and it's a very iconic uh, almost cartoonish poster in itself and it I've been thinking about this twin sequel and it doesn't seem like it would be as iconic
4: right. that was photographed by,
0: photographed by Annie Leibowitz by the way oh wow really that's that's oh, wow. yeah. with yeah. DeVita with DeVita leaning up against Schwarzenegger like that she yeah. did that that's amazing yeah yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> were you, uh, you, know, we're, you, you know what he wasn't happy about did you ever see the issue premiere no it has I mean, it has a uh, a uh, Schwarzenegger, and the top of Danny's head <laughs> in the cover, which I think is brilliant. Right? He was really, really unhappy about that. <laughs> and he's a wonderful, generous, loving guy. But he just the short jokes were enough already. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they would do with a sequel to that. You know, I don't know. I, I not I don't like sequels anymore than most people do. You know, I I can't watch blah 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 number seven. You know, and all the rest. I think it's just you know. And so I'm not an, I'm not enthusiastic one way or the other about any of these things. I don't even go to the movies anymore. I haven't been to the theater in eight years. I, I wait till they come. on. I watch my like, fifty fifty inch fat screen, and you know. Yeah. Well, what That's kind of artistic stuff
1: doesn't get you excited? What are you enthusiastic about these days if you've moved past movies?
4: Nothing. Nothing? No, I'm tired. I'm you ever draw 70. anymore? I'm almost 70. I'm like, who what?
3: Mm-hmm. You ever draw anymore?
4: Yeah, I paint. That's almost all I do. And I love photography now. I have a like I make these little projects for myself. Uh, believe it or not, I ran an adult site for five years that's a I'm admitting it here but you'll have to research that one <laughs> but it
1: was, it was, that's for it was overthinking kind of, it after dark
4: yeah we'll do that <laughs> one later <laughs> yeah it was, it was a smart magazine style but I went around the world photographing naked women which is something I always wanted to do it's work if you can get it but I'm tired of it now. I mean, a woman a woman just came in the other day and asked me if she could take some nude photos, ever. and I said no. So I don't feel like it. I never thought I, I never thought I'd see that day in my life. <laughs> no, I shoot I shoot landscapes, seascapes, city photography. Um, I have a website, MichaelCecrows dot com, and you can see what I do there. And I, I like my paintings, but I'm not a driven enough artist, you know, and I sell them, and I sell them for a couple thousand bucks. And, it's nice. I live on the beach. I'm, I'm so retired, and I'm fundamentally lazy. You know, and I don't have to work. So, you know, I curated an art museum here to keep me intellectually, you know, clicking away. You
2: know. Now, M- Michael, I'm, I'm curious to go back to, uh, you know, what we said earlier, specifically about the movies and how they don't excite you anymore. And when you say that, do you mean that uh, like, you were not excited by the movies in a way that, you know, after any of us had done it for Enough years who would, would do anything would not be excited about it? Or is there something particular about the trend in uh, the movie business um, that has turned you off to it?
4: Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, when I walked away in '95, um, I went to Italy to be a painter. I had grown deeply tired of the industry. First of all, it's a young man's business, it's, it's really tough. It's a really tough business to do. I mean, it just, its boy, you've got to have energy for it, and you've got to be at the top of your game all the time. But I was tired of Hollywood. I was tired of the values. I was tired of fighting with Asians. I was tired of going to parties where everybody's got a new deal. And I just thought, you know, I don't want this anymore. I mean, I wanted to make movies since I was 12 years old, okay? I made 10 movies. I'm happy. One of them is arguably one of the great movies of all time. Kindergarten, you know, I, was, right? I, I, know I, I know I directed it. <laughs> But, you know, I'm one of 12 people who made that movie happen. You know, I can live by my yeah. title. And I've done a couple others that I'm really proud of, like Twins and Dave. You know,
1: we all love Dave. So, yeah, definitely. My, my, I, you,
4: I, did, I, I did a lot of second unit work on Dave. I'm the second unit director on it, and I'm proud of my work on that as well.
3: Wow. I have to tell you a and I'm going to apologize for it again, that my mom liked Dave so much and she would watch the VHS again and again that I actually uh, lost her VHS of Dave. I, like, threw it out one day so she would have to stop watching it. <laughs> I mean, but I love it. Too. She was, I, literally, every day, she just put on Dave while just, she was puttering around the house. So that's, that's how, how revered it was in my household growing up.
4: You know, the other nice thing about Dave is every second was a joy. Oh, yeah. Every actor was a joy. Every scene was a joy it It flowed. We never suffered. It was painless. it was just i never in Washington and we, you know and it was just one of those perfect movie making experiences as was twins you know? so you know i 'm grateful for that and when I do it again i've been asked to i consult on scripts a little bit, you know, but I feel out of touch and the other is I don't have any connections anymore. I mean, I'm not even, I don't know, 10 people to take my phone calls anymore. It's almost 20 years, you know? And so I'm just, you know, I did it. And now when you add to that, I, mean, I love movies. I watch two movies, three movies a day. And a movie I like, I just watch, by the way, since you said it, I just watch Bad Day at Black Rock for probably the 40th or 50th time. It doesn't bother me to watch a movie 50 times. Um, I think the record's got to be King Kong, which I think I've seen about 300 times. But, you know, I just love movies. But making them at this point, I don't know anymore. And I've been asked if I would like, you know, would I make a little movie? If I made a little honest movie, like, you know, kind of a little melodrama, maybe. And then I talked to my independent producer friends who are just suffering so bad. Trying to get anything done these days, The business is worse than I was in much worse terrible, terrible business, and I just go, you know, I don't want to be there anymore, and i don't and I don't like most movies being met I mean how many good movies have you seen in the last three years? and see so you have to also remember I don't go see any movie that has marriage um, <laughs> wife, <laughs> wedding,
0: <laughs> so okay, no romantic love nope. yeah. No romantic (laughs) comedy. No romantic comedies. Do you like? uh, Are there genres? Do you like? Do you like horror? The only romantic, the only romantic
4: comedies I I really, really love, and I love them so much I watch them over and over and over again. Or Nora Ephron's, because they're just better rounded. You know, who was a friend of mine. I'm sorry, she passed away. And uh, now the the most fun I had recently, actually, and just a good old cheap old funny old humor is uh, Hangover Two.
0: Huh. (laughs) (laughs) Well it kinda of breaks the rule. It has a it has a wedding in it.
4: Uh yeah. yeah but, but yeah, but the wedding, if you set up a set of scales and you put the entire wedding on one side, on the other side you get a drug dealing smoking mucky. He <laughs> way, way outweighs the the, the wedding. And uh, ex partner, friend of mine, produced it, and, and it's no. And I just, uh, I've been to Thailand four times, and so I, I mean, I can actually sit there and go, I know what that is, I know what that is, <laughs> and believe me,
3: if you're in Thailand, a lot of that makes sense. You're talking about
2: the problem of uh, of a sequel not being as original uh, as its as its first one. I think Hangover Two, Hangover Two, is, is often criticized as being the, uh, the the sort of the poster child for that problem, right?
4: I, no, I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't. <laughs> that whole. Okay, it's just my. I don't want to play film critic. You know, it's, that kind of movie is just a series of setups and jokes. You can make those forever.
3: It's well, not the like. The premise is just like a close hanger to, to, to put the, the individual moments on.
0: Hello <laughs> yeah uh, the the uh, what Matt said was that the, the premise is like just a clothes hanger, and the individual moments hang off of that
4: well you have to, you have to like the guys, and yeah. then if there's a running series of jokes, they have to work sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. I'm one of these guys who watches something like the Wedding plan or the brides thing or whatever it is, And I go, what is that a funny you know if you line up enough jokes in a row, it's a comedy, it's okay. But we used to make comedies that were plot-driven, if you can call, you can call meatballs plot-driven. No, they're not not plot-driven, it's just, you start with some guys, then you evolve a plot, then you build the jokes. There's not many comedies like that right this minute, except romantic ones that I refuse to watch. (laughs)
3: Hey, Michael, there was one thing I wanted to go back to quickly. Uh, You mentioned that King Kong is your all-time favorite movie, right?
4: I didn't say that. The most watched
3: movie. Oh, the most watched movie. Interesting. I'm wondering if it's a coincidence that, that Ghostbusters ends with the with the State Pub Marshmallow Man, which obviously, a lot of shades of King Kong, especially when he climbs up the building to the top. You
4: know, that was always in Danny's original script.
3: Right. So you just, you just happened to... Even when
4: it was a very different movie. And yeah, I can tell you this right down to the end. I mean, the end, after doing the special effects, after shooting it, after cutting it, but we haven't tested it yet. Ivan said one day, looking very depressed, he goes, am I crazy? Or is this tape off thing the worst idea we've ever had? (laughs) Is it gonna work? Wow. And, And that's how little you know about your own movies when you're making them. And when we shot that thing, and that first little glimpse of his head shows, which I didn't think anybody would see anything, right? Because it's the one before the reveal. And the audience went nuts. You know? And we, we had no idea. It, was, it could have been the biggest. They could have just like said, boo. You know? The stupidest thing. We, had, we did have to take a funny line out of there because we need to cut to the top. You know? and they're doing a conversation between the boys. What were you thinking, Ray? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And he gets up and the reveal of Harold Ramis First, you see the Stake Up Man, then you cut to Harold Ramis, or vice versa. I'm not sure. If I could look at it again. Um, well, we we did a lot of improv reactions in there. And the one that made it all the way through a rough cut, but we finally took it out because it would have affected our ratings and we didn't think it was necessary, was Harold Ramis going, F me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You know, I got to go back a little. You mentioned that King Kong, although the most watched movie, is not—you hesitate to call it your favorite.
4: Well, first of all, there's no favorite movie, sir. I mean, you know, you have to. You have to put movies in context. You know, I know. Some I mean, Vertigo might be my favorite movie. You know, I don't know. You know, you gotta you gotta break them down. Something like it. Hot's my favorite movie. You know, it's like King Kong is my favorite movie. You know, you can do three Billy Wilder films, and you know, talk about you know you know something. Like, maybe I Seven's my favorite movie. You know, it's like I'm a melodramist. I like when I went to the movies. I was never in a very sophisticated movie going as a kid. For me, it was all escape. So that's how I see life, if you look at all my work, I'm not very serious, you know, I'm not, not, you know, everything I do is, is take you out of this life, you have a laugh, take you someplace for a thrill, take you someplace, when those lights go down, all I wanted was to be taken away from my house, as a kid, you know? I didn't want to be at home with my parents fighting, you know, I wanted to be sitting there, and I didn't, want to, I didn't want to see these, you know, English dramas and, you know, know, you know Ann Bancroft with the blind kid. You know, it's so, like, you know, it's not. I just want to be taken someplace, you know? And so my, my movies tend to run that way. Well, we were. Uh, Don Shea, who publishes Cinefex Magazine, Do you guys know of it? Yeah. Okay, Don Shea and I went to high school together in Newburgh, New York.
0: Huh.
4: And published, and published a fanzine together. Um, so one of the great moments we uh, got to share in later years was I'm making Ghostbusters and he's publishing Cinefex, and he does an, an issue with Cinefix on the cover. Imagine you're 15 publishing a fanzine together and making 60 millimeter movies and then leap forward to when you're almost 40 and, and this comes out. And he has a picture on his wall. I've got to get a copy of it. It's Arthur C. Clarke reading Cinefex. But he's reading the Ghostbusters issue. Wow. wow. i got to get a copy. I've kept scrapbooks since I was 16 years old. For the life and times of Michael Gross. I thought I'd have an interesting life. And they're out on my 12th volume and I'm tired. Um, but um, i got to get a copy for the books. Just, you know, how full circle is that?
0: Well, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you, you have and continue to lead an interesting life. Hey, little known fact, you know who else keeps scrapbooks, is, like, is obsessive about scrapbooks? Hugh Hefner. And he also ran an adult, uh, an adult website for a little while.
4: Yeah, I, I, I knew Hugh yeah. Hefner.
0: Oh, is that, is that a fact? Any, any good stories about him? What kind of guy do you think he is?
4: I think, uh, well, first of all, it was a long time ago. Ah. It was in the 70s. Um, I have nothing but admiration for the man, actually. First of all, the effect it had on me is that I was the I was the Playboy college rep at Pratt Institute. <laughs> and wow! They used to have a thing where they had college reps, and then what you could do. I got it. I wrote in. I got it, and then you could sell all the jewelry cheap. You got you got a copy of Playboy. Four days before anyone saw it anywhere. And that package would come to the dorm, and everybody would crowd around me. Because it was before it's on the stands, before your <laughs> subscription, before anything. And they gave us Honda 50 motorbikes to promote Honda. <laughs> and I was married, married since I, was I was married since I was 17. So I was able to get my wife a lovely little bunny ankle bracelet. But, you know, it's a different time. You know, it's 63. We're talking about 64. But, no, people, what they don't credit them enough with is this huge support, uh, legally, what he was behind Lenny Bruce, he gave him all the legal support, His, what he did with, the, uh, with poetry, with jazz, with writer, left-wing writers, whether you agree or not, who were in lost causes in that time, you know, and he would give them all the legal support. They had legal funds running for Nat Hentoff and people like that. Um, he's a brave man. Really agree with the philosophy. It was, a, it was a thing of its time, you know, but I have nothing respect for the guy. Hmm. Although it's embarrassing to watch him now, but I think it'd be embarrassing to watch me now.
0: <laughs> it's
1: it's it, probably so, be embarrassing to watch any of us too, but no worries about that. <laughs> yeah, so,
3: yeah. It's a
0: good thing this isn't a video podcast. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, did you, uh, was that, so being the, the Playboy college rep, was that any sort of influence on you when you, when you started working with uh, working on heavy metal?
4: No, not there, but um, Dave Caswell and I, my dearest friend since Pratt, and my design partner at Lampoon, and uh, and rest in peace, he died uh, seven years ago. He was like my brother. We tried to start a magazine called Campus Kaleidoscope. How's that for a bad name for a magazine? Wow. We tried to start a magazine in college, and we even got people like Cliven to send us cartoons for nothing. Um, and it's, it's on, on. uh, no, it influenced me as a magazine designer, but not filmically, no. My, my first, my, the path, the path to Ghostbusters started with National Lampoon, sure. and it's, I, I'm art directing National Lampoon, and Ivan makes a deal with Maddie Simmons to do Animal House. But I knew Ivan a little because we had an off-Broadway show called the National Lampoon Show. It was a cabaret show that Ivan Reitman produced. Harold Ramis wrote it. Um, he starred Bill Murray, Brian Bill Murray, uh, Gilda Radner, John Belushi, and I think Harry Shearer. I'm not sure and it was a real company. they cast Saturday Night Live out of that show. And John Belushi's wife was my assistant in the art department in Lampoon. And I know Bill, I don't know, since 1972 or something. You know, we were just, he was never, no who he was, he'd never done a film, you know. He wasn't on Saturday Live yet, because he wasn't, he didn't right. to go to later, but that's stuff. story. So, Uh, but I did other things. I'm just an art director and I got tired. I ran a design firm and I was John Lennon's personal designer for about a year and a half and consulted with the Muppets and it was fun but it didn't pay well and it was print and I was tired and I didn't want to run my own business anymore so I went back to Lampoon and I I did Esquire but they changed the magazine and fired me. So I went back to Lampoon and said, look, I have a little office in the corner, and maybe I can just do some freelance books for you and maybe sort things out. And they were doing heavy metal books. And they said, yeah, you can do all the heavy metal books. So I did the book Ale alien, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm in there doing these little books, you know. Now Len Mogul, who is the publishing partner of, of Maddie Simmons, he controlled heavy metal, which is a magazine based on French material and you know the rights to publish an american version he wanted to have a movie because Matty those simmons had animal house so he wants his own movie so he goes to me and he says i want to do an animated version of heavy metal what do you know about animation hmm. i said i know a lot about animation i know i know a lot about animation by the way big lie i call i want to say no and I said, Look, I, I know a little bit, but you're not. I said, your biggest problem is going to be this. You're going to get all this material that looks very different. What you see on the screen in animation, and there are no animation studios, then except bad Saturday morning, even uh, uh, Disney wasn't animating in 1979. And I said, what you're going to have is you're going to have to translate this stuff, these complicated drawings, into something animatable for a budget. And somebody's got to get in the middle of this and be sure it comes out right. You know, like art director or whatever. And I said, I'll be the I'll do that. And he goes, Fine, I'll make you associate producer. So, we got a little deal with 20th Century Fox. We did some test footage. We went to England once. The whole thing fell apart. It just died. Didn't happen. And, and that it was like done. It's not going to get made. So, I went to Glen House, my wife, and I said, You know, honey, let's sell the house. I had two kids let's go to California John Bellucci and Bill Murray and Doug Kenny Doug Kenny's out there making another movie with Caddyshack or something I said they're all saying come on out the weather's fine we'll get you in the business somehow and here I am going back to my first love of making movies six, 16 millimeter movies when I was in high school right so I think I'm fine I'm done with my print career let's go make movies so but we had nothing I had an advertising job waiting so to feed my family but we had nothing so we sell the house, and said, I give a lecture, by the way, a lot about taking bold steps and risks when you have to, and I had a great wife who supported it and this is what we're talking about. And so I said, fine, let's get an airplane. Now what happens is, quite literally, while the plane is in the air, leaving New York to go to Los Angeles, then Mogul calls up Maddie Simmons me, calls up Ivan Reitman as a last ditch effort to get heavy metal made, and he said, "Do you have any interest in this?" And Ivan said, "I could get that made in Canada with a phone call." He said, "I'm making we stripes, but I like this a lot. Um, I'll do it." And that was it and, and then he says, "Well, by the way, you know you remember Michael Gross and he said, yeah, 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 I remember Michael." Well, I kind of told him he'd be a social producer. And we said, what are you going to do for me? Ivan says. He said, well, I don't know. Why don't you just meet with him and see what he's got to say. So I land. The next day, I get a call. you got to go over to Universal Pictures, and you got to talk to Ivan Reitman. You remember Ivan Reitman? I said, what I do. you got to go over and talk to him, because I think he's going to make heavy metal. And I told him you should be part of it, but he wants you to sell yourself. I said, Okay. Now I'm already so confused. I went to Disney because I didn't know where the studios were, and I got lost. And I and I drive on. I've never been in a movie lot in my life. I come back and I'm walking past because he are still alive then a bungalow with a sign that says, "This spot reserved for Mr. Hitchcock." At that point in my life, I almost started crying. I couldn't believe that my life had taken this turn. I go in to say, with minute. So he says, "Michael," he yeah. says, "So what are you going to do?" And you want to do something else, heavy metal thing, right? So I get in the same speech. He goes, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. I'll make you a special producer. You want the job? Yeah. I I produced my first movie within three weeks of arriving in Hollywood. Wow. Yeah, and All my everyone I know who went through extensive Film School says... You, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like... Uh, I. Feel and what, like- happened is, what happened is, when we went to do Heavy Metal, it was a huge task. We did it in eight cities, eight studios, five cities, three countries. It was a nightmare. We didn't have the time, half the budget. And I was the only one holding the film together. So they elevated my position above the director. I was doing the film, gave me two titles, Social producer and art director because an art director they could put it on the poster. They couldn't do the producer because they previous fields. And I delivered the film basically under Ivan's guidance, and it went so well that when I just settled and there I was, it was only two years later we started we were fiddling around with development. He said, "I want to do this special effects movie. You know about special effects, don't you?" I said, "Oh yeah, I know everything about special effects." another lie. But you did learn a lot about it in animation. And I brought it in and that led to Ghostbusters.
0: Yeah. That's
3: Heavy metal is such a cool classic. I assume you've seen the, the South Park episode that has the the, the, the parody I love of the it.
4: South, I love the South Park, the South Park thing. <laughs> I can't reach them, I can't really reach them and thank them. I have it on my iPhone. <laughs> that's,
3: that's the highest, and you can imagine. You can imagine.
4: I didn't know they were doing that, right? So I'm sitting in my little place here, and I'm watching South Park, right? And there's a thing, And this, I go, what, what? Holy! F-. And I'm jumping around, yelling to myself because nobody else in the room. Holy! F-. Oh God, they nailed it! God, I I can't believe this. I, I couldn't sit down. <laughs>
2: I fully anticipate okay. that next season we're gonna be watching South Park and their and the kids are going to start their their website for pop culture analysis. They're like, hey you guys,
4: just do overthinking
2: it.com. and we're we'll similarly we'll yell holy oh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> to nobody in our rooms.
4: Around
1: around. <laughs> yeah. Uh we can dream
0: anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure I'm sure that's gonna happen. Hey, yeah, uh well Michael thanks thank you.
4: actually you. that letting me ramble.
0: No, you didn't ramble at all. This was I mean, I think we were a little awestruck, a little starstruck. It's it's great to meet you and thank you for talking uh, talking with us. We we uh, hereby retract any part of overthinking it uh, that may have offended you, sir. And uh, <laughs> and we and we thank you for uh, for talking talking with us.
4: Actually, if I actually if I didn't say it in one simple sentence, my feeling was, in, at the, in approaching Ghostbusters 2 as it was, I don't think he totally understood where we were at that point that enabled us to get away with that and say it's okay. It would have been different if we'd done it one year after the first film. It would have been, you know what I'm saying, there's lots of ways to look at that. Um, yeah. And it was just a matter of where it was at that time. It was our way of saying wink, wink, nod, nod.
3: I'm I'm very glad I wrote because it, it got us in touch with you. So I I I I'm it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about, about your work and all the great movies you've been involved with. Hey well maybe before Okay gentlemen.
0: Yeah uh maybe carrying the keep, keep
4: carrying the torch.
0: Uh thank you. Thank you so much, sir. I hope that we can have you back uh before too too long. <laughs>
4: It would mean I'd have to do something meaningful. Listen, you guys, 70 is no longer over the horizon for me, okay? It's a big, nasty, filthy oil rig out there going, come on, Mike, come on. (laughs) It's not going to be pleasant.
0: Well, you know what they say, 70 70 is the new
4: 25. 25. (laughs) Yeah, all those people do. I I lost my best friend. I lost my mother, my best friends, and my wife all a year apart. And every time I was on Facebook, I'd look at one more artist I worked with and one more designer and Jeff Jones and one more lampoon writer and one more filmmaker, and Nora Ephron, and the list kept going. Of just someone dies every – and it's – um, you really have to slap off around and try and rise above that. And I'm uh, – I'm good to uh, – I do, but half the time I'm getting a little, a little sad about it. You know what I mean? Well, so I can't imagine I'm going to be contributing much – that we're worthy about talking about in the in the future.
0: Well, I hope I hope it uh, I hope it gratifies you at least a little bit that uh, what you have already contributed has brought the people on this call and the thousands of people listening to this podcast incalculable joy already.
4: Can I add one last story, please? <laughs> it, 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 this occurred to me years ago, but it, it was uh, 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 certainly uh, an insightful moment. Uh, this is really an epiphany. I was sitting in a bar with a friend of mine, <laughs> having a drink, is what you do in a bar. And we're talking about Ghostbusters, and I don't even know what the rest of the conversation was, but you know. And I go to pay for the drinks, and I said, bartender, I'd like to, you know, have a bill please. And the the stool next to me, who someone we weren't talking to, but it was kind of overhearing the conversation, said, Excuse me, can I buy your drinks? And I said, yeah, well, why would you like to do that? He goes, did I understand correctly that you made Ghostbusters? And I said, yes, I did. And he said, well, I just want to thank you for making that movie. And I laughed and I said, well, you and a lot of others thanked me at the box office. I'm I'm perfectly well thanked. (laughs) I appreciate it. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. What I do in my life, I don't get to talk to somebody face to face created something that brought me so much happiness and i thought you know unlike lawyers i probably contributed to making a million people happy huh. and you thought that's why we do it
0: yeah Amen. no
3: matter what else happens in your life at least you're not a lawyer
4: <laughs> yeah, you got that one right. <laughs> and yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. so in other words, I can be proud to call myself a producer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be right back after this. This has been Michael C. Gross, Not a Lawyer. <music> wow, I'm a little awestruck, guys, having uh, yeah. having talked to Mr. Gross, right? I think oh, we all are.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I'm incredibly relieved that he didn't yell at me.
0: i but i i gotta say and i don't mean to be maudlin or like overly sentimental or anything but it does make me kind of grateful for you guys you know that is and kind of what we do on overthinking it because you know in talking about the site we've always talked about how we've been friends for a long time and the site has been a way of kind of Bringing, uh, uh, keeping us in touch and doing what we love to do and expanding that friendship to, to circles of people, you know, uh, around the world even. And like having been at the London Overthinking It meetup a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago. You know there are there are people all over the world who who sort of uh, join with us and it's I it I don't know I like I say I don't mean to be too sentimental but like it it reminds me how important it is to kind of be be close with your friends and kind of enjoy the things you love enjoy the things you love in life together whether it's you know I don't know something consequential like uh, uh you know beautiful architecture or uh, you know, gorgeous Hawaiian sunset or something or something like Ghostbusters, which is what we <laughs> like, you know, that, uh, that, that we can share, that we can share together. Right. Mm hmm. Okay, maybe oh, yeah. that, was, that was a little. Maybe that was a little overly sentimental. I'm sorry to. to I just money.
1: I'm just trying not to ruin it with snark. Like, there's such a huge impulse to like <laughs> oh, take yeah. the gas out of it by making a joke, but really, I agree. And it's so difficult to just be like, I concur. <laughs> like, <laughs> I agree.
0: Go for it. I'm 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 secure enough. You can make fun of me.
1: No, 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 it's great No, it is great And I think, and it's also when, he, when, when, Mr. when Michael Gross said You know, why'd you write the article A big part of it is that, well, because talking about Ghostbusters Is a way that I socially interact with the people that I care about <laughs> You know, like <laughs> right. So it's not just about talking about the movie It's about talking to you guys And to everybody else out there
0: I write, I write about Ghostbusters because I'm incapable of saying I love you, Pete Fenzel <laughs>
1: Uh, same, I think.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a guy who, like, he did what he loved, and he got to work with his friends, and, like, what more can you ask for, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, it was a little bit uh, uh, disheartening to hear hear that he, I guess, for lack of a better word, had burnt out. Of, of the movie business. Um, but when, when I was asking that question, I was getting at, like, has he lost his love of the movies? And it was refreshing to hear that he had not. He watches by yeah. his account, like the, the enormous quantities of movies.
1: Um, I feel like if we were in his perspective, we'd understand what he was going through in yeah. terms of leaving. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. I, I hear that show business is hard. I really pity anybody who, you know, moved to LA to, you know, be <laughs> in the show business. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: And so from the bleeding edge of America, (laughs) from Los Angeles, California, where I moved, not not only did I move out to to get involved in show business, but I got a I got a degree in classical acting. Right. (laughs) Which is, you know, um, you know, which is definitely the path to fame and fortune. Let me tell
2: you that's to say, several days after you landed in Los Angeles, Matt, you were not directing a movie with animated boobies.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, not directing, producing. But. Produ- yeah, yeah. But he was above the director. Don't, yeah, I, don't forget that. Um, all right. Well, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say after that. But if you have something that you want to add to the conversation, you can always email us at podcast <laughs> at overthinking.com. You can call or text 203-285-6401. And one of these days, we'll read your text message or, or play your call on the air. Uh, or you can do what most people do and join the discussion on the show notes to this episode. Until next week. Um we are the podcast, but until then, you can visit us at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny
1: it, it probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Too hot to hand, too cold to hold. It's called the Overthink... party for a bunch of children but all the while the slime was under the building i don't know how we couldn't see that that was camp and (laughs) tongue-in-cheek and not like sincere